Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm one of your hosts, Jackie. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Rahul. Rahul, usually I want to say something positive, and we will get to some things positive, but it was a tough weekend for the men's side at least, but like you say, the women save us again, don't they? They always do. <laughs> um, but yes, it was, like you said, a, a heartbreaking weekend for the men. Uh, because we once again came so close to to tasting victory, but wasn't to be. And at least on the women's side, uh, we ended the season on on a high uh, from winning the league last weekend. So, as always, they they left us with a good taste in the mouth. They did, and so let's talk a little bit about the men's side and get that kind of unhappiness out of the way. And we'll get to the women's side a little bit later in this segment, but. Maybe you can hear, maybe you can't, but I've lost my voice. It was a lot of screaming and yelling this weekend. And actually, I went to the Houston Blues Supporters Club watch party. And so if anybody's interested to follow them, it's at Houston Blues SC, at Houston Blues SC. We had a massive watch party, Rahul, at Johnny McElroy's Irish Pub. And you were actually supposed to be there, but logistics didn't work out. You know, a lot of things are getting expensive here and there, but it's okay. You were there in spirit. It was great to be there with a lot of Chelsea fans. I think we counted about 60 people, maybe a little bit more, which is a decent amount for, for the pub. And we all squeezed in there and had a good time. Uh, we had one Liverpool fan, which was my brother. He joined and I thought we were going to get him kicked out of there. But luckily, he was welcomed by them as well, which is which is awesome. But all around exciting. So I was glad to join the, the Houston Blues Supporters Club. And we had a good time overall. So, uh, But before we get into that, Rahul, do you want to jump through the starting eleven? I do, and thanks for sharing that. I, I was seeing your pictures and videos from from the watch party, and it it looked like a lot of fun. So hopefully next time, the next time we make the final, uh, I'll be there. But yeah, the the team that um, Mendy, the team that Tuchel picked to start this game was Mendy in goal, Chalaba, Thiago Silva, Rudiger as the back three, Reese James, Jorginho, Kovacic, Alonso in the midfield four, uh, and then up top we had Mason Mount, Lukaku, and Christian Pulisic. And I think we were pretty close, if not dead on, on predicting this lineup as well. We were talking about it in the previous episode, and you had called for Chiloba to come in because of that pace. He had made an appearance against Liverpool earlier in the season, and he seemed to handle Luis Diaz really well as well. So I think overall, I, I couldn't be too upset with the starting eleven. I mean, we know that Kai Havertz was out injured, and so Lukaku was going to lead the line. And I think Timo Werner may have picked up a knock as well in warm-up, right? Yeah, that's we didn't know this when when the the teams were announced and uh, throughout the 120 minutes even in the penalties we didn't know Timo had picked up a knock uh, but we did find out after uh, it would have been nice if we knew before because it would have saved <laughs> you and myself some yelling at the screen about bringing Timo on but uh, either way yes he was injured and and I think apart from maybe Jorginho coming in for Conte this was the exact same lineup from the Carabao Cup final um, so that that is this is Tuchel's, I guess, preferred eleven to face. Uh, I, and Lukaku, sorry for Kai, uh, but he does tend to prefer that kind of structure and, and those players like, to play Liverpool. And you can see why, because again, for uh, ninety minutes they couldn't couldn't break us down. We couldn't break them down, and that was a fourth draw this season. So we'll get into the 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 meat and potatoes, like you say, uh, of the game. But overall, I think pretty satisfied at least at this point looking at the lineup yeah I think I, I couldn't complain like I said earlier I think he got it spot on and I think you may want to see players like maybe N'Golo Kante start a game but we know he's had his injury struggles this season and he does make a difference when he's available but 
I think sometimes when you're not fully fit, you're not fully match fit, you're better off going with Kovacic and Jorginho. And that's no shame. I think they're a good pair up in the middle. And obviously Lukaku has something to prove and he's been decent in the last few games for us. And so it's easy for us to go with Lukaku at that point. But like you said, we'll get to the meat and potatoes. I think we're holding today more than running through some key moments. It's more about our emotions in the game. And you were at home watching it and you were able to kind of focus on the match a little bit more. I was in that atmosphere with some fans and getting to go in there. But the first 20 minutes, I'll be very honest with you, the pub and the bar was, was pretty quiet. That's mainly because Liverpool had a ton of the ball. I think at some point in the game, we really couldn't even get out of that half of ours. We were kind of pinned back. What was your experience watching it kind of more hyper-focused at that point? Yeah, I, I shared that, that sentiment and that emotion with you guys where we didn't start off. Well, Liverpool definitely started off as the better side and, and settled in a lot faster than we did. Uh, and they were able to find spaces in behind the defense. They were able to have Luis Diaz and Mane and, and Salah more involved. Uh, and we just struggled to, even when we would clear it, get past midfield because they would press us. And, and we know their pressing is very good. They've been together for six plus years now. And uh, as a team, they know exactly what everyone's role is, which is what you get from continuity as a manager from, from uh, in Klopp. But for us, it, it definitely was nervy times the first 20 25 minutes ish uh, where we couldn't really see how we were going to break out of it or, or or create even anything I think Lukaku and Pulisic uh, and to an extent Mount were just waiting for something to happen come their way where they could create um, and we had to ride a, a storm and I guess that storm came pretty early because um, like we said Liverpool wanted to to get that goal early and I think build on that. But um, luckily, Mendy kept us in the goal. Gap uh, kept us in the game. Thiago Silva kept us in the game. Uh, Rudiger with his levitating, uh, defending a ball and, and, and keeping things at bay, which was good to see because I always say when we concede first, things get a little chaotic and a little messy. And, and with Liverpool, with the hyper energy that they have, they can go on and score a couple more. So... It was good that we kept them away and were able to maybe eventually come out and do our own thing. Yeah, and I think it's key because I did say the bar was quiet, but there were pockets of praise and clapping for the good defending overall and the saves from Mendy because I think that was important to acknowledge is we, we were a little bit under pressure. We were a little bit nervy, but we didn't let the mistakes creep in, which is something that you and I have complained quite a bit in the last few episodes about silly mistakes or individual mistakes, dare I say, are the problem with which is causing us to concede goals. And so when we have this situation, while I want to be frustrated that we couldn't get out as quickly as we wanted to, I can take solace in the fact that we did defend as a unit. We did perform very well in keeping the clean sheet for the first 20, 25 minutes while we were under pressure. And while I understand the front three were probably a little bit frustrated, I think they did a good job tracking back as well. I know Mason Mount worked his socks off. I know Lukaku was available to clear corners and defend when needed as well. And Pulisic was always an outlet. And and I think that's an important piece as well was we needed someone like him to be the outlet, which I thought he did a good job at at least receiving the ball, trying to hold on to it and make a run or, or find somebody else and get us out of there. But I think you're right. Just maybe one or two quick chances in that first half, maybe Alonso, he keeps coming into the mix, right? He does. And, and we always say that uh, he's getting picked not for his defensive abilities, but for his ability to join the attack and, and provide an outlet from that left side, which he almost did it. He made a good run. I think Pulisic played him a good ball, maybe a little bit delayed, which uh, eventually 
led to Alonso not getting the best touch and, and Allison closing him down. But again, it was one of those things where when we were able to get a little bit of control on the ball and pick our passes, we were able to get in behind Liverpool's defense midfield uh, and drive at them with Pulisic with Mount and, and try to get a chance or, or something going our way, which would make us feel obviously the fans, but also the players that we can also attack this team. It's not just, we got to stay tight and defend and on a different day on a different touch, maybe a couple of inches, a different side of the post, we could have been one nil up after saying we were not the best side opening the game. <laughs> yeah. And I want to come back to Liverpool for a minute, because I think in that first half, one of their key attacking players, Mohamed Salah, who they depend on. And I don't use the word depend on, but he's been Mr. Reliable. He's got a lot of goals for them this season. Unfortunately, he goes off injured in the 33rd minute, I believe. And I do want to say that as a neutral, most people in the bar were actually pretty respectful. While secretly in our hearts, we were happy that Mohamed Salah is not there to score a goal against us. I don't think anybody was cheering that a fellow player was down injured, especially in a big final. And you, you wish for him to not get those injuries. But at the same time, like I said, secretly, he's not going to be causing us as many threats. But you then look at Liverpool and they bring Diego Jota off the bench. And you're like, is, is this better? Is this worse? I don't know. But another key player comes on. But I think beyond that, Rahul, we kept ourselves and our shape pretty tight for the first 45 minutes. And I can't say I have too many complaints about that Chelsea team in the first half. I can't either. I mean, again, if we take one of our chances and, and more particularly, I'm speaking about the Pulisic chance that comes uh, around the 25-minute mark. Um, if we take that and we go one nil up, it's a whole different game because we know defense defending wise, like we were, we know how to keep Liverpool out. Now, yes, when we get into the second half, they hit the post and, and that's one way of keeping them out. Uh, but it's just a whole different mindset and game when we're one nil up against a team that now needs to come out, not that they were defending, but now need to come out and actually like push and push and push and get that goal. Um, anything could have happened, but can't complain. Nil nil at halftime. You take it in any final uh, because it allows you to go in and, and re-strategize, re-group, uh, and and talk about how we come out in the second half, which was pretty well. We came out a whole different side. <laughs> and you know that's interesting because I think that's what Tuchel does at halftime. He re-energizes the team. He probably talks to them about positioning, about tactics, about maybe instilling some confidence in them and you're right we come out like a house on fire because we want to get that goal we've been pegged back a lot in that first half and so we need to find a way to at least show what we can do and I think it comes in, in a good form over there with us actually pushing them showing that we can pass the ball around but how we've commended Chelsea in defending I think we need to then commend Liverpool in defending because they did a good job to hold their ground as well right they did Allison was key for them uh making good saves uh, Alonso hits the post and it was that period, I think, it was the first five, six, seven minutes where we just needed that goal to come our way because we were the better side. We opened, like you said, like a house on fire. Um, and in these games, and especially in the final, when you are the better side and, and dominating, if the goal comes, it again, it's a whole different mindset because you then want to push on and get a second and and kill the game. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't, and, and Liverpool come back and it's always going to be the case where once Liverpool set into their stride and, and are knocking the ball around and, and trying to get in behind you, we're going to get a little bit deeper and try to try to just defend uh, as a team. And 
we did that. And that's basically, at least for me, the whole second half was you could just feel like this is, might be a one nil game either side, or it's going to go nil nil and we're going to go extra time, which is, which is what happened. But both teams tried their best. Liverpool led the post twice, like I was saying, uh, towards the end of the game, which I'm sure we were super nervous about. Um, but we, we wrote our luck a little bit. We put in the hard work. Thiago Silva, I got to commend him. He picked up a niggle, a knock uh, in that first half, and he carried on like nothing was wrong and played 120 minutes. And I know I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but just coming back to the second half, I think maybe some of the subs were, were questionable. Yes. Let's talk about the subs then, because like you said, we started off well, Liverpool grew back into the game. And ultimately, I think Tuchel tries to counteract this by bringing N'Golo Kante on in the 66th minute for Mateo Kovacic. What do you make of this sub? Do you think it was the right sub? And I don't know what the right answer is. We can only give our opinions here, of course. Do you think it's the right sub? Do you think it helped at all? I think it was the right sub because Kovacic was a doubt for this game. The, God knows how he even fit, fit his foot into that, that boot because when you... <laughs> Look at pictures of his ankle. It's it's fully swollen. He sh- there's nobody who should be playing, and he put in a decent shift. He wasn't himself, you you might say, uh, and so I, he was never going to make it to ninety minutes. And Angolo Conte is a player that can influence any final, even if he's not a hundred percent fit. And he had come back, I think, only one training session, so he was going to get the minutes. And when I look at the bench and who else was there, maybe Loftus Cheek could have come on for him. Uh, Kovacic, but again, when you have Conte on there, you you want to use him, and and I can't can't complain about bringing him on. Yeah, and I think my only I don't want to say criticism is, but let me start by telling you the feeling in the bars when Ingolo Conte's number came up. I started singing the Ingolo Conte song because we were excited. Everybody wanted to see Conte because he was called many times the little genius or you know the workhorse, whatever you want to call him and describe. And there were a lot of chit chatters coming out of the bars. So clearly positive about N'Golo Kante. And I think there's very few people that cannot love N'Golo Kante. But as he played, Rahul, you could see he was rusty. There were things that he was doing that was off the mark. And so while I definitely understand that Kovacic maybe would have not made the 19 minutes, but I think Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's been good in the last few weeks, maybe could have come on and done a slightly better job. That's not knocking N'Golo Kante. We know he's had his injury struggles. We know that he's not played enough football in the last few weeks, but he's played enough football in the last few years that have covered up for that. And that man runs for days. And so he was looking a little bit rusty. And so the little bit groans uh, in his incomplete passes or a dribble that didn't end with it going anywhere. And so again, I, I don't know what to make of the sub as far as knocking it down, but it's just some key moments we were observing there as far as maybe if another player came on, could they have been more effective? But let's talk about a different sub, and that was later on in that second half, and that's Hakim Ziyech for Romelu Lukaku in the 85th minute. Uh, we're nil-nil. You've already talked about going the whole 120 minutes. You got a little bit ahead of yourself there. We won't talk about that just yet. But 85th minute, Hakim Ziyech coming on for Romelu Lukaku. Honestly, I was a little bit surprised. I know Lukaku was not necessarily contributing so much, but big guy, keeps the defenders occupied, always has a goal in him versus going to the false nine. I don't know your thoughts. Yeah, I agree with you. I think in the absence of Kai, Lukaku was our only recognized striker and not a bad striker, especially since he scored in the last two games, but I didn't really see the need to switch to a false nine and put Pulisic uh, in front of Virgil van Dijk and uh, Konate. Uh, yes, Lukaku, I think, did struggle against both of them, but 
just having him there versus maybe Pulisic and and not having someone occupy those two guys was a little frustrating for me. And and apart from that, I look at Lukaku and yes, he's come in the last two games, but before that, he's featured off the bench. So he's not been continuously played 90 yeah. minutes and, and needed a rest or or just didn't have anything left in the tank. I think he could have easily continued and maybe with Ziek a different outlet feeding him the balls, maybe it created a different problem for, for Liverpool's defense, who themselves took off Van Dijk at the end of, I believe, 90 minutes. So could have been a whole different ball game for Lukaku with uh, a different defender. But it wasn't to be, and uh, that's a question for Tuchel is, did, was Tukaku carrying a knock? There's something we don't know about, like with the Timo Werner situation. Uh, but from what we know and what we've seen, I think Lukaku was fit and and easily could have just stayed on. And some people believe, Rahul, that when you take off your focal striker, Tukul's sending a message that he's happy to go to extra time and potentially penalties, which I don't know what the truth is. Like we said, that's Tukul to answer. But you, you, you do have to agree that when you take off your focal point striker, it's going to be a little bit difficult to find someone in the box for crossing, for through balls. And yes, we know Christian Pulisic has done an amazing job doing false nine. He's done well when called upon, but he also has just played 90 minutes as well. And so I know they're tired. Of course, they should go 120 minutes because Pulisic, like Lukaku, has not played a lot of minutes this season. But you would want to keep your most lethal players on at the same time. And so I do agree with you, maybe... Maybe, you know, you switch Reese James to right center back. Maybe Hakeem takes right wing back if you truly want. You know, it reminds me of the days of when we had Mourinho and he wanted to win a game rather than sometimes drag out a game and go to penalties. Because penalties, like you said, is anybody's game. It's a toss of a coin and it can go either way. But before we get to penalties, let's talk a little bit about extra time. Not so much we can talk about in that first half of extra time. I don't think it was pretty cagey at that point. So let's talk about the subs that happened. It goes into the second half of extra time, if I said that correctly. But Aspilicueta comes on for Chaloba at 105 minutes, and Ruben Lachis-Cheek comes on for Pulsic at 105 minutes. What do you make of those two substitutions? In the bar, it was not necessarily <laughs> praised, but it wasn't necessarily negative. It was just kind of confusion as to when those changes came. Yeah, the way I saw it was we were... We needed energy. We were looked tired. We looked leggy. It's been a long season, I think 61 games or so. Uh, so we just needed something fresh because, as we said, at that point, only Angolo Conte and Ziek had come on. And we just looked tired and, and we needed something new. And so I think Aspilicueta came on, which was fine because Chaloba had done well. There was no, no threat in terms of Luis Diaz, who had gone off himself. Uh, so that... Threat was gone, and I think Espelicueta comes on, experienced person, club captain, um, an option for penalties, which he's taken in the past. The Loftus-Cheek sub was a little surprising because you took Lukaku off to put Pulisic there, but now you're taking Pulisic off to put Loftus-Cheek there, who maybe is a little more physical and brings the same characteristics in terms of striking as Lukaku does. So it goes back to the question is why didn't Lukaku just stay on? Uh, we'll never know the answer. No, and it, it goes back to the question I asked earlier. Wouldn't you want your most lethal players on the pitch that can score goals so that you can kill the game off before it goes to penalties? And should it go to penalties, if it was to go to penalties, you would imagine the likes of Lukaku and Pulisic would be definitely gentlemen that you'd want to step up and help score those penalties. So Overall, it was very confusing, but that's not really where it gets 
funky. It gets funky even later on in the 120 minute when the referee is about to blow for full time. And Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who's only been on for 15 minutes, comes off for Ross Barkley, who, Rahul, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think he's seen a, a formal game in like six months here for Chelsea. If my memory serves right, the last time we saw him play in 90 minutes <laughs> was Southampton at home, which was in October. Yeah. Now, again, I'm, I'm maybe missing a few games, cup games, but... I've seen him on the bench a lot. I've seen him sitting behind Tuchel just there. But I haven't seen him playing. So when that sub came up, I'm like, what is going on? Because who's he coming on for? Is there an injury we don't know about? Um, Yes, it was done for penalties. But I go back to that penalty against, I think it was Valencia at home uh, in the Champions League under Lampard. and, And he missed that. So I'm like... Is this the right decision? And, and honestly, it was just confusing because Loftus-Cheek had just come on and so he was playing strike and you would think that if he had come on 15 minutes prior, Tuchel had obviously thought that if this ends up as, as penalties, Loftus-Cheek may have to take one. Um, and at that point, like I said, we didn't know about Timo Werner being injured. So we're looking around like, why isn't Timo coming on? Why isn't Timo coming on? But Ross comes on, and like we did in the last final against Liverpool, it just seemed a little chaotic from the outside looking in. And we don't know if the players on the pitch knew this was going to happen, if they were expecting Ross to come on. Uh, But maybe it was a little chaotic for them too, because as a professional, you see one professional came on, but he's getting dragged off. And I don't know, it just, it didn't seem like we were ready to go to penalties, even though we were. It certainly looked chaotic to me as well, because when they made that sub, a lot of scratching heads were going on around me of, he hasn't played in six plus months. Ruben Loftus-Cheek just came on. Ruben Loftus-Cheek, from what I can tell, knows how to kick a football and should know how to kick a penalty kick. It's one of those things where Liverpool just look organized. They look like they were ready for anything that was going to happen, almost like they had a cheat sheet from, and and I I hate to do this because it it reminds me of the days of Mourinho when Frank Lampard was interviewed, maybe in his second or third season, he said, Jose is brilliant about preparation. He will say in the first half, here's how many red cards they will get, how many yellow cards they get. This player is going to fall over and do this. In the second half, this guy's going to leave his position. Robin will score in the second half. This guy's going to come forward. Frank will come in and get a goal. If none of these ideas work, we go to extra time. If we go to extra time, Drogba does this. If we cannot win an extra time, here are your five penalty takers. If it doesn't finish there, here are your next. And that was interesting to me, the level of depth that Jose would go into to be prepared for a final. And, And there's a reason for that. He's made it to a lot of finals and he's won a lot of finals because he does put his paperwork in order and he's ready to go. With this, coming back to present day, it was interesting to see how a player that's not been there for six months comes on for a player. And then let's talk a little bit about the penalties as well, Rahul. It it seemed like we didn't know who the first penalty takers were going to be. It was almost like we were waiting. We were hoping there was some jotting going back. There was talking going on almost like we were not sure who was going to start the penalty taking and who the top five were going to be. Yeah. I I mean, I, I look at what he said about the Ross substitution and he said, yes, it was ultimately done just for the penalties. And I, it makes sense, right? If you know that 
we may end up going 11 penalties like last time. You want to have the best or the, at least one of the person that has a good record. And, and Rossi, yeah, I've mentioned the Valencia one, but he does score penalties. And, and Ruben, I really haven't seen. So from that side, just to play devil's advocate, I can see why Tuchel did it. And he wasn't wrong. Ross scored his penalty when he came on. So you, you can't blame him there. <laughs> but yeah, coming to the penalties, I think it was interesting because you have your left wing back go first in Alonso, which he did in the in the Carabao Cup final too. But then Aspilicueta steps up and then Reese James steps up and you're like, okay, now this is three of the back five, if you want to call them that. Why aren't the attackers uh, coming a little bit ahead and maybe it was to surprise, again, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Maybe it was to surprise Allison, who was the goalie this time, not Kelleher from the Carabao Cup final, to say, we're going to throw up players that you may not have fully studied or studied, but not know what they may do in this moment. And I think Alonso switched it up. Alonso went different to the first, to the Carabao Cup final. Aspilicueta, it's unfortunate you hit the post, right? Like, it's going in and it's not going in. Um, Reese James does the business. Ross steps up. And then Jorginho, of course, I think. He was always going to be the first or the fifth. And then this time he's the fifth. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking around, I'm like, who else could have been? Ziyech could have come in a little bit earlier, maybe. I, I would say Mount, but we know how that went. So we weren't really, didn't really have that many options because Lukaku was off, Pulisic was off, Timo wasn't there, Kai wasn't there. So I think we were kind of forced to pick some of these other guys too. No, and I think Tuchel knows that they can take a penalty role. Reese James takes great penalties. Aspilicueta has scored many a penalty for us. Marcus Alonso, we keep saying it, in another life should have been a striker and can score a penalty. But I, I think ultimately when you look at your weekly games, week in, week out, these are not the first names to take a penalty in open play. You're talking about your Jorginho's, you're talking about your Mason Mount, your Hakim Ziyech. Okay, your Ross Barkley, I get it. Wouldn't you want to go with the first players to score the goal? And ultimately, look, we went through seven penalties. Mason Mount misses the decisive penalty and we're out of the, of the cup. That's not what I'm arguing here. I'm just arguing about the fact that it didn't seem like there was an organized plan from the moment that the whistle went that it was time for penalties it almost seemed like you were kind of going at a guess and and I could be completely wrong Tuchel may be a different type of manager where he wants the input of the player on the day at the minute how are you feeling Mason are you feeling like being number one Jorginho do you feel good about being the anchor at number five because there's a lot of pressure in case we miss one he could be that kind of manager it just seems like you would hope that some of that stuff was planned ahead of time and talk through the whole situation we just seemed lost scared confused and maybe we're just saying this for whole because we lost another final but you've got to ask these questions that we keep losing finals and is it because we're not prepared or because we're mentally not available and ready to do the business i don't know what the answer is i mean look it's it comes down to we lost and so we we're going to analyze it and be extra critical of these moments and these things that happen uh, if we win we're good we wouldn't even care what happened in that period between when the penalties were taken and, and the game ended. Um, I think ultimately these two penalty shootouts have taught us that something we already knew all season, we've got to take our chances during the, the regular game. And if not, then um, we need to be a little bit more 
smarter. We need to be a little more. And, and, and that comes with time, right? You look at these guys, you look at Reese James, you look at Mason Mount, they've all just come through. Um, it'll come with time, but we've just got to step up to the occasion. And Mason Mount's penalty, let's talk about that for a second. He steps up. You've got to give him credit for that. Uh, but it wasn't the best hit penalty. It was it was a little too close to the goalie. It wasn't in any corner. It wasn't high. Um, I'm no professional. And I'm not going to criticize him for that. But when he looks back at that, I'm sure he himself knows that I could have done better. And that's what you want because this is not going to be the final time when a penalty shootout. I hope it is because penalties never go for us. But um, he's just got to learn from it, and and we will. We will we'll be back. I think Tuchel will learn from it, and things will be done a different way, maybe a little more organized, like you were saying. Uh, but it just hurts in the moment. No, and I know you say you're not a professional or a penalty taker, and ultimately it looks like a weak penalty. Rahul, I'm fine with that. I'm fine with it being a weak penalty. I'm fine with the player having, you know, nerves on the day. I'm fine if the ball goes into the roof with Kepa and we miss a penalty and the end of the final. I'm fine with all of that. And ultimately, I'm fine with you also being critical of Mason Mount because as a fan, you can be critical. I think where I draw the line is what I've been seeing online, which is a lot of negative hate a lot of abusive language used towards mason mount and it's it's shocking to me because i sit back and i look at what he's done through the season and and by the way it's been a long long season we've still come away with silverware by the way we're still going to go into the champions league next season one way or the other regardless of what's going on and around us and he's been a top contributor to that in fact i look back at when frank lampard brought him into the squad and i raised my hand and i said frank's bringing his son in Frank's bringing somebody who's not necessarily Premier League proven. And every time he's told me, I'll do the business. And I, and I don't mean he told me personally, but he's shown me as a oh. fan, I will do the business. And Frank leaves, Tuchel drops him for the first game to bring senior players on. And guess what? Since then, Mason Mount has worked his way back. And Tuchel, who, regardless of what you think of him, Raul is a proven coach at multiple levels, has won multiple things, brought us the Champions League, has picked him as a consistent player for him. And in fact, has said, when he's fit and when he's ready, Mason Mount can play any any formation, any position, we're getting him in there. And so to see the abuse and to see the language hurled at Mason Mount and people singling him out for missing a penalty, is quite, it's quite embarrassing as a Chelsea fan to see other fans talk to him like that. And it honestly, I wish that our fan base could be a little bit better. We can't just go to this point of abusing our players because he missed one penalty. Mason Mount is the same guy that gave us the assist to win us the Champions League. And so it's both the highs and the lows of being a Mason Mount fan, I guess, but you can't go and abuse him online and just drop support because he missed a penalty. It happens to the best of us. Major players have missed penalties. We move on and we go from there. Yeah, I I 100% agree with you. And and I think it comes down to not just Mason Mount, right? But even Pulisic got a lot of abuse for missing chances and and not scoring. But I think it was Alex who put out a a good tweet. He said Pulisic and, and Luis Diaz had pretty much the same number of chances, both didn't score, but one was seen as this electric winger who was, who was making things happen while the other was seen as he cost us the game. And I think that's where the mentality of, of certain fans has to change is that at the end of the day, these guys are human beings. They're like you and me. Yes, they get the ability and the chance to do something that you and me would like to do, but they put in the work and, and said that we're going to make a career out of this. We didn't. So we can't sit there, and, and if you're listening to this, we may have criticized them for the past 25, 30 minutes. We're not here saying they need to leave Chelsea. They're not good enough. They shouldn't be professionals. 
and some of the other things that I've heard, they're not Chelsea quality. What is Chelsea quality? Yeah, Would no, you... what you're saying is, is PG. Some of the things I've heard and read are things I cannot repeat on this podcast, which I think it goes to show people are angry, frustrated. And I, and I, I understand that. But just eventually, some of this stuff makes it back to these players. And I know that we're heated in the moment, but can you imagine the abuse that these guys take? But at the same time, we want to be as fans seeing them play, pull on the blue shirt for us every day. And we can't keep doing this to our players. We've seen other clubs do it and it doesn't work out where the, the players have to come out and say, as a, as a fan of X club, I can't believe my fans talk to me like that. I'd hate for any one of our players to come out and say, I can't believe my fans talk to me like that. It's never something we want to see. Chelsea is better. We are a bigger club than a lot of others out there and we need to be better. And so for any fans listening, if you abuse the player and hate over the weekend because you were angry if you said it because you were trying to be funny online, I, I don't think it's well-received. It's something where you can hide behind a keyboard or, or phone and say these things. But ultimately, we don't need hate towards Chelsea. We need positivity and we will bounce back. We'll continue to grow from here. Absolutely. And, and just to add to that, in, in these moments is where you support these guys. And I look at Mason Mount. He's Chelsea through and through. I don't know. It doesn't get any more Chelsea than him. <laughs> uh, so when he missed that penalty and it was saved and then Shimika, Timikas or whatever his name is, goes and scores for Liverpool. The person hurting the most at that point is Mason Mount. Yes. You and I, and all the other fans are, are upset and annoyed, but we went on, we went home. We, we went back from the bar. Mason Mount had to stand there and watch Liverpool lift the trophy. And it must've hurt him a lot. Yes. He's won the champions league last season, but he wants the FA Cup. He wants the Premier League. He wants the Carabao Cup. He wants to win for Chelsea. Uh, and so I think we need to remember those things. And ultimately, these guys are still human beings who just have a job that we tend to support and, and want to see them succeed. And they will succeed. We've just got to stick to it. Which brings me to the other point, which I'd like to get your thoughts on. We came up against a Liverpool side that have been under Klopp or Klopp's been at Liverpool. Maybe not all these players have been there with him from the beginning. But he came in, I think it was 2015, October, and he's put together these pieces that have got him to a point where he's coming up against Chelsea in a final and, and winning on penalties. Let's, let's put that out there, that it's not, he's not dominating and killing us in 90 minutes. If we support Tuchel the right way, give him the right tools, we can be there too, right? I have to believe that. And that's something regardless of if I love Thomas Tuchel or not, I'm not saying I don't, I'm saying as a Chelsea fan, if I'm not pro Thomas Tuchel, you and I have said that for multiple managers now, Raul, <laughs> going back to going back to the days of Jose Mourinho's second stint with Chelsea, where we had a horrible follow-up third season. I said, I don't care. Let's just ride the wave. Let's go through, because you're going to pull some bad apples out of the club. And when I say you pull bad apples out of the club, it doesn't necessarily have to be players. It can be somebody behind the, the, the backroom staff. It can be a bad coach who's not helping them defend well. It could, could be, be a medical. It could be above. I didn't yeah. want to talk about the above with all the change. <laughs> it could be a medical professional that isn't checking the injuries correctly and forcing them back to play. There are a lot of things that go on in a club that we don't see. And so allowing a manager to build not only his, his playing staff, Rahul, it's building that whole team. And, and, and the reason I say that, I want to talk about some comments Klopp said about psychologists he brought in in a minute, but allowing a manager to build the team with not just his first 11, not just his substitute bench, but then poking and putting his fingers into the youth system, 
poking and putting his fingers into his training staff, poking, putting his fingers into doctors and psychologists that they want to bring into the club. And I, I think with Tuchel, you've got to do that. He's been here now a year and a half, give or take. I think we've won four or five trophies in the year and a half. Yes, some people are going to point out the, the World Club Cup is not something that's important or Super Cup is something that's just uh, an added uh, game or whatnot, but he's winning them. And so there are opportunities to win things and add trophies that we've never won before to our cabinets. And so it helps that we've added another Champions League. We've done well in going to another final. We did okay in the Premier League. Could we do better? Absolutely. But he still only signed one player. And that's Romelu Lukaku. Yes, we took Saul on loan, but I think he needs time to put his stamp on the team. We also have an aging backline role that's about to move on. We're going to see a few players split off now, and he may have to rebuild an aging backline. We had a very, relatively very young front line that is now slowly starting to click. You're seeing the best of Mason Mount. You're seeing the best of Kai Havertz. We still haven't seen Timur Hakimi Ziyech. Pulisic has been injured quite a bit. When all of these pieces click and he's able to spend the time building it, and like we said, other pieces of the club, it could be another amazing season. Let's not forget, both Klopp and Pep didn't win anything in their first season. It took some time for them to build off of that. So I think it's really important. But I want to talk about the psychology of Liverpool Football Club and what they did. You shared a little bit of information with me, a little news article. Can you share a little bit with our listeners here? Yeah, it was in the post-match interview where... Um, Klopp was sharing with them that a group or a, a company of psychologists approached Liverpool and him and said, we can help you take better penalties. And no, I don't think it was this season, might have been uh, earlier in the season or last season. And that caught his attention because you would think coaches and, and guys that are on the pitch would be able to, to get you to that point where you're winning these kind of nervy moments. Uh, and he said, well, that got my attention. And I said, why don't you come in? And we met and they started working with the guys and the players. And obviously now they've won two cup finals on penalties. So uh, he was talking about the importance of the psychologists and, and having people there that are away from what happens on the pitch and are up in your mind that, you know, can help you stay calm and, and understand certain situations that you may not when there's a whole end of Chelsea fans yelling at you and trying to distract you. Uh, and I think that was interesting because as a club, and at least from the time that you and I have been watching Chelsea for the past 20, 25 years, we've always struggled with penalties. Yes, we won the biggest trophy on penalties, but <laughs> it took a lot of pain. Even that moment in that in Munich, we weren't sure. We, weren't, we were like, oh, it's penalties. We may lose it. Uh, so I think it comes back to maybe something we look into and, and something that this sport is leaning towards in terms of it's not just about your ability on the pitch, but also how your mind works and how you control some of those emotions and the science behind it, which I find very interesting. No, I do too. And you think about where the sport was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 50 years ago, right? Roland started as I could go have a couple of beers, eat a giant meal, show up and still play a game and it was fine. But then the sport got to a different level. And obviously that comes with more fans, with more sponsorships, with higher quality TV rights. And so now not only are you playing the chubby guy who had two beers and had his pie and showed up and scored a goal, you're looking for a higher quality of football. And that's why they say the Premier League is the best league in the world. Then it went on to not only are you playing the Premier League, you're playing the Premier League in the FA Cup. Oh, let's introduce the Carabao Cup. Let's introduce the Champions League. Let's introduce the Super Cup. And then they have crazy preseason. So 
while the game's evolved and it's more high paced and it's it's a lot more football at its core it's still 11 people on a team playing and so those 11 people have to be at their best physically because you want to get the best out of them but now it's growing into not just physically it's it's mentally and it's it's very interesting because you again i go back to 50 years the ball was made of a different material rahul they've improved the ball so that the game's better the shoes they wore is different the jerseys they wear is sweat wicking and aerodynamic <laughs> and all so science has come into the game as well there even with training goal line technology has improved and so wherever there's ways for things to improve i'm all for it and if a psychologist helped chelsea get better at penalties and it just takes it out of their mind that we've lost a few and we've not been successful with them we can go from there i think i'm all for that and again it goes back to the tuchel point allowing him to bring in the people that he needs to do a better job and ultimately make us more successful Absolutely. And, and one player, a person we didn't talk about is Mendy. I think he had a decent game and capped it off with that save from, from Mane, which I celebrated like we had won the trophy. <laughs> I did too, yeah. Um, but your thoughts on Mendy? I think he's had a rough couple of weeks, but he was pretty solid in this game. And that's what's important to note. I think he's been a game changer since Frank Lampard brought him in. And Petr Cech has a big piece to say to that we always say, look at his history and what he's gone through to come where he is. And I think he's top quality. Every player goes through ups and downs. Goalkeepers go through ups and downs. And I think for him to step up and save against his, his country mate in Sadio Mane, and maybe there's a little bit of knowledge there as to which way Sadio likes to go, but saving that and keeping us in for another couple of penalties was always good to see. So uh, another top performance from him. And I think he will continue to be another top goalkeeper for the few years to come. I agree, but that's... Let's move on to happier times and, and more positive times and a trophy, uh, which comes from Emma Hayes and, and the girls uh, on Sunday afternoon, another FA Cup final this time around for the women against Man City. And I believe Man City hadn't lost an FA Cup final at, at Wembley. And so we were coming up against a decent side and, and you had pointed out in the last episode that they were on a good run of form too. So um, it was going to, always going to be a good game, and, and we won it 3-2, but it was back and forth, two good sides going at each other, and um, every time Chelsea took the lead, Man City came back at least twice, and the third time around, everyone from the Chelsea side was just saying, hold on, hold on, hold on, because we're almost there, and, and we held on, and we we complete another league and cup double, a fourth time that has happened, and uh, there was a funny picture of Emma Hayes. I don't know if you saw it. She posted, she had this light fixture, I guess, in her kitchen, and she's just hung all her medals there. And she goes, I guess I need a new light fixture. <laughs> and I think that's key, right? We talk about the FA Cup final. And I think what I've said about them earlier in the season, and this is this might be a good time to repeat it, is the never-say-die attitude, right, with this team, is that I'm looking here at the stats of what went through, Rahul, and, you know, we score first. And from there, when we score first, we're going to kill this game. But Manchester City, like I said, was in a rich vein of form. They're not going to let this go easily. They come back and score, and it's 1-1. And then Cuthbert comes back and scores. And, you know, at that this was... point, 63rd minute, you, you think we have to win it. The way she scored a goal in the FA Cup final to do this, we're winning this, Rahul. We're going through. But in the dying embers, Haley Rasso from Manchester City scores in the 89th minute. It's 2-2. And... You know, coming off a bum weekend with the men, you then start to second guess what's going on and how this is going to play out. And you get a little bit worried. But I think that's what I, I talk about with the never say die attitude is these ladies don't care about the results. They don't care who Manchester City is. 
They don't care what their last, you know, vein of form has been. You've got players like Sam Kerr who will step back up again, say it again, in the 99th minute and take us home and, and get the winner. And I think that's what's most important is they just keep pushing and they have this need to win games. And I think that comes directly from Emma Hayes and her light fixture. Maybe she showed the light <laughs> fixture to the girls and said, look, there's one empty spot here. I need to fill it. Let's go out there and get the business done. And they do, Rahul. They figure out a way to get it done. And ultimately, they break Manchester City hearts. But we're happy with that. We need them to break some Manchester City hearts so Chelsea can continue to win these games. Yeah, very well put. I think it was a, a fun game, especially when you end up on the right side of it. Um, and a nervy game because we're holding on 2-1 and it's headed towards the, the 90th minute mark and they find a goal. Uh, to their credit, they they are a good side and they threw everything at it and and gave us a good game. But when you have the likes of Sam Kerr in your squad, who, let me tell you, she was exhausted at the end of 90 yeah. minutes. Emma Hayes was giving a team talk. We were talking about team talks with Tuchel. Um, Sam Kerr was just laying on the ground and stretching and and just in her zone and in the fact that I just need to get through the next 30 minutes because I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm done. And she's had a long season. She's Yes. With the absences of Carter, with Kirby, I think she's carried the load of, of being the main person in the strike. And, and that's obviously seen with the goals and the numbers that she's put up. Uh, there's a stat here that I want to agree. But in that 99th minute goal, when she picks up that loose ball, pretty much in our own half, she runs the entire length of the field, goes into Man City's half. She has Jess Fleming there with her, who everyone thought she was going to square it to, but in true goal-scoring instincts and goal-scoring <laughs> form, she takes the shot, gets the luck, which deflects the goal into the ball into the net, and it was 3-2, and she was happy and excited, but she just didn't have the energy to celebrate uh, like she usually does. And uh, from that point on, I think, like you said, the will to win and desire to hold on came through, and, and, the, and, the, and the women made it happen. And um, Emma Hayes... She herself goes through a lot during these games, especially when things aren't going to plan and she changed things around. You can see she's always thinking and, and we've credited her for that. Um, and there's another stat about her. I'll, I'll say hers first and I'll go back to Sam Kerr. She's lost three WSL games in the last three years and she's won three titles. Yeah, it's something <laughs> remarkable. And Rahul, I hate to do this, but I think it's it's a way to set a benchmark, right? We just talked about if you give a manager time and Emma Hayes has been there and has been given the time. And the beautiful thing about Abramovich was he was one of the first owners to truly allow us to invest in the women's side as well, which we've done. The likes of Sam Carey is really a world-class footballer that we were able to attract to Chelsea. And so you give a manager time and it shows what can happen in that time, multiple leagues back to back to back now FA cups back to back and Yes, we made the Champions League final, we didn't win it, but it shows you that when you give them time and you allow them to get the pieces that they're looking for in, what they can do. And so while while she must be commended, I think Chelsea is a club, and I know it came from Abramish down, and, and I know it will come from Todd Bowley down, if they give the manager time and they allow them to do what they need to do, as long as they produce the results within reason, Raul, I think that's what's most important. You're going to see a lot of good opportunity for Emma Hayes to continue to build us this team and then take them to the next level. And ultimately, I think the next level is continue to win these league titles, continue to win the FA Cup, but maybe pick up that big Champions League that we won on the women's side as well. Absolutely. And, and to touch on, on the ownership side, Todd Bowley did have lunch with her 
uh, I believe it was on Friday afternoon. And that was some of the things they spoke about is how do we continue to grow the squad and, and compete in on the European level, which is where that is the next step for this team is because we won three titles on the spin. We won two FA Cups on the spin. We won Conti Cups. How do we take that form and go into Europe and say, we're going for that Champions League? But uh, on Sam Kerr, she's... <laughs> scored the most goals in a single season by any WSL player. That's, that's quite a record, 32 goals in in 22 games, I believe. That's, that's quite a record. And now she's turned into the Wembley. I don't, I don't want to call her Drogba because that's a different, different side and different era. Right. But she's stepping up and saying, I'm going to score these big goals and, and bring these trophies to Chelsea and, I think she said somewhere that as long as Chelsea is happy to have me, I'll stay here. Let me tell you something, Sam. We'd love for you to stay here as long as you wanted. You can play as long as you wanted, do whatever you want, because ultimately it's goals that win you the games. And when you have a goal scorer like her, there's nothing like it. And I just want to wrap up my thoughts, and I hate to wrap up my thoughts on a commercial side, Rahul, but the truth of the matter is, Chelsea really grew the brand in Africa with the likes of Didier Drogba and Michael Essien. They grew the brand in the United States with someone like Christian Pulisic. We've grown the brand, picking up these kind of players over the years. In the rest of Europe, we've picked up amazing players. For some reason, we've never really been able to grow the brand in Australia. And so now if you have somebody like Sam Kerr doing the business, breaking records, winning leagues... You've got to imagine that slowly but surely that Chelsea name will continue to spread and grow in Australia as well. Absolutely. And, and as the coverage of, of the women's game, I mean, this game was live on, on ESPN uh, plus, yes. But uh, if you have access to that, you could have watched it. And, and that's what you want to see. I think next season, Bennett shared Paramount will be covering the, the WSL. So where he will be watching and, and hoping for a fourth title, a third consecutive FA Cup, maybe a Champions League and a Conti Cup and, and we'll do a quadruple and that would mean the men haven't done what they were supposed to do, but we'll, we'll leave that for next season. Absolutely. So con- congratulations to the women's side. Congratulations to Emma Hayes. Keep doing what you're doing because that recipe is bang spot on. So let's move on, Raul. Let's talk about Leicester, uh, the infamous Leicester that seemed to give us problems every now and then. But before we talk about Leicester, we've already secured top four because our favorite London team in Arsenal secured a loss, and so they cannot make it in and drop us out of there. They can kick maybe Tottenham out if it's possible, but they cannot beat us out of there. So uh, feeling a little bit better overall, but we're at least going to go to Champions League next season, my friend. In the words of the great Olivier Giroud, <laughs> thank you, Arsenal. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, honestly, I mean it because we were heading into two games at home. We haven't had the best time at home, but this takes the pressure off. And I think we, one point from the two, not that I'm saying that's what we should get, would, would secure third spot. So, yes, Arsenal, they've, <laughs> they've fallen apart quite a bit in the last six weeks. And, yes, they beat us in that period, um, but they've totally screwed this up. And you mentioned they can still make it if Nord City – bottom of the table, relegated, beat Antonio Conte Spurs and Arsenal beat Everton on, on the last day. They make it, but I, I don't see how that happens. Look, anything is possible, but I think Antonio Conte is a serial winner. We've said that before, at least on the Chelsea side, the Inter side. And so 
history favors him. And so potentially they'll be going into the Champions League alongside us. It's just a matter of whether we're going to go third or fourth. And I think Leicester is a team standing in our way. So let's go through it. Leicester, we've not had the best time against Leicester in recent time, especially memory going back to that FA Cup final. But that's done and dusted. We've, we're putting FA Cup to the side. We, we don't have a week. good time against anyone in the <laughs> FA Cup final. <laughs> Let's talk about starting 11, Rahul. Mendy's played a lot this season. Um, not much on the line. Ultimately, like we said, we've qualified for Champions League. Not much on the line for Leicester. They're safe as well. Do you stick with Mendy or is it time to bring Kepa back into the fold? I think Kepa plays one of these last two games, if not both. Um, like we said, top four is secure. There's no other competition here to play. Why not just let Kepa play and maybe inflate his value? Because we do know that he may be leaving this summer. So I, I would go with Kepa. Okay, fair enough. I think that's a good shout. Um, right center back, maybe Chaloba. I think he's had a good game. He obviously came on, came off in 105 minutes, but he's still young, still fit. I think he's got it in him. Do you agree with that? I do, unless Aspie comes in, but I think Chaloba would be a good shout. What about the two center back positions other than Chaloba? Thiago Silva has played a lot of football this season. Do you continue with him? Do you bring in Christensen? Do you bring in someone else to fill in those boots? Give Thiago Silva the player of the season trophy and send him <laughs> on vacation because he's earned it. He, yep. we, we don't need him for the last two games. Let him go away. Let him start his vacation um, because Rudiger can slid in there. Chaloba can play there. Sar can play there. Honestly, it could also be an opportunity for Tuchel to just try a back four or try something different in these two games yeah. to see how we do. Uh, but in this game, I'd go Chaloba and Rudiger and, and Malang Sar. Okay, I think that's a good shout. And I think Malang Sar has a little bit to prove to make sure he gets into Tuchel's team next season. Or so somewhere else some- for him. Yep, that's true because he might go on loan or maybe, I don't know. We'll see how that plays out. But uh, right wing back, Reese James is a shoe in. Left wing back, do you squeeze in Alonso still or is it time to bring somebody else there? I will. If there's someone else, it might be Saul, but uh, maybe Alonso plays this one and then the next one he doesn't. Yeah, and maybe Alonso will play the last couple of games and get a grand send off. Like, you know, love him or hate him, he's been a strong servant for Chelsea for the last few years. And there are rumors linking him going back to Spain. So it'll be interesting to see over the next few days, games here. Uh, middle of the park, Kante didn't play a lot of football in that FA Cup final. Maybe you bring Kante and pair him with Jorginho? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair middle of the park. And then front three, always guessing. But I would go with Hakim Ziyech, Romelu Lukaku. And if Timo Werner's fit, maybe squeeze him in there. What are your thoughts on those front three? I like it. Uh, again, I would make a case for Mason Mount if this game really meant something. Um, but I think those three can come in and, and try to impress Tuchel and impress Boli, who I believe will be there. Uh, and let's let's see what they can do. So we've got a decent starting eleven against Leicester, who are not doing so well in the Premier League this year. What do you think the scoreline will be? Since both teams really don't have anything to play for, and we're going to make a play a makeshift back three or four or whatever it is and Lukaku needs a few goals I'm going to go for a (laughs) (laughs) 2-2 so the teams don't have a lot to play for but they invested in a 2-2 I love it that's going to be great I'll give you my prediction run through the table and then I'll let you wrap up the the segment for us here so I'm going for a 2-0 I think there's a little bit of pride on the line maybe we need to come back from the loss and get back to winning ways I know there's not, not a lot to play for but we do have something to prove against Leicester every now and then and so I'm going to go for 2-0. 
Let me go through our table here because it's going to get very, very interesting over the next few weeks here, especially going into the final week of the Premier League. But Manchester City on top with 90 points, Rahul. Liverpool right behind them with 89 points. This is going to be down to the last fixture of the day. Manchester City playing Aston Villa and Liverpool playing, I think it's Everton, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, Wolves. I think Wolves. And so it's going to be interesting depending on who they win. Uh, it could be Manchester City becoming champion, but if Aston Villa does Liverpool a favor, you might have to, to say Liverpool are going for a quadruple here, Rahul, but I wouldn't get ahead of myself. Chelsea in third with 70 points, Tottenham in fourth with 68 points, and Arsenal in fifth with 66 points. Why do you Sorry laugh? For the Why chuckle. You laugh? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry for the chuckle there. Uh, Manchester United in sixth with 58 points, and this is one of their worst seasons since Alex Ferguson has left the club. So a lot of stuff to go on over there. And then at the bottom, North City already relegated. Watford already relegated. It is going to get very, very interesting. I think Everton are going to make it, Rahul, because they have two games in hand. But between Leeds and Burnley, 34 points and 35 points, Burnley do have a game in hand over Leeds. So it's going to get very, very interesting towards the end of the table. But we'll we'll be watching, we'll be hoping and seeing what happens. But I'll turn it over to you to take us home. Before I take us home, I just uh, want to say Ben Joel's back in first team training. So I don't know if we'll get to see him before the end of the season. Probably not, but that's a good sight. Uh, And then on the women's side, we did see the final game for G. So Jan, Drew Spence, and Joanna Anderson. So wishing them all the best. Um, I think you and I were wondering where G was going, but she is heading back to to South Korea because she's never actually played in South Korea as a professional. So I think she's heading back home to to start that and give them a boost in terms of uh, the league there. So wishing them the best and wishing Ben Chilwell comes back strong and has a good preseason. And hopefully we'll get to see him uh, either in Charlotte or Orlando and, and we can maybe wish him well from, from the TPC side. But uh, that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chels on Apple, Spotify, Google, Podcast, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chels. And as always, send us your feedback, and we will be back with a new episode. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. Hey, guys. The Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top-quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home, so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.